Hello, and a very good day to all of you out there. Today is September the 21st, 2021. This is the Friendship News Hour, presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. His name is Alex, and my name is Frank. Al, got a question for you. I hopefully have an answer for you. Have you ever thrown professionalism out the window? <laughs> um... I'm sure at one point I have. I, I've done probably several Zoom meetings with, uh, with or without pants, um, and no, <laughs> no sexual connotation at all there. Uh, these are all, all right, Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs> yeah, these are Jeez. all with dudes. I'll say that first. God bless. Um, I, I don't know, man. I'm sure I have. Yes. I'm not talking about like your passive aggressive, per my last email. Yeah. Um, that kind of thing. I'm talking about legitimately, like, has said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna be a dick here. I don't. I don't know if I really have like ever told someone to like fuck themselves. Like I've always done it very passive aggressively, like a like a dickhead, mm-hmm. but not like go fuck yourself. I'm out of here. Like I, I've never quit a job in that fashion. I've quit a job, kind of like a smart ass or like yeah, I got a way better opportunity. Like this is you know I really wasn't going anywhere here. Like kind of shitting on the job as I was quitting it. Yeah. Um. But I or you know just like the typical you know this job isn't for me. I'm gonna blah blah blah. I don't. I don't know if I've ever really been very. Could could be said that I've been completely unprofessional. Mm. Yeah. What makes you ask? No, we were having a conversation before we logged on about oh. uh, uh, e- emails and yes. somebody sending you a uh, you know very non-professional email, and I th- I was just thinking about it because even if somebody that I knew that I worked with a lot were to send me an email that was just completely unprofessional, just threw professionalism out the window and just did it in a way that was aggressive and, and, and antagonistic. The one thing I always remember about email is like, it's there forever. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? And so it's like, I've never had the urge to reply back to somebody with anything that I wouldn't want my boss or HR to see. Yeah. Because it's so easily, you know, it would be the worst way to like ruin a career through an email that you wrote on impulse. Well, and, and going back and forth with my boss on this, he, he basically thinks that this guy is trying to like poke us because he and he always does. He, he's not a fan of us. So I think he's uh, like trying to just poke the bear, poke the bear, poke the bear so that eventually myself or him say, you know, fuck you in email and he can go and take this to his boss, get us fired. I, I think that's his intention. Yeah. Interesting. I just don't reply if I, you know, if it's something like that, I just, I just don't reply. Yeah. Yeah. You know why? For sure. Cause I, I, I don't believe that the way that we work with email now, although we are, it's not just a mainstay. It's like a lifeblood of business. Now email is, yeah, it is. I still detest the idea that I am available to anybody at any time, anywhere, and that their mail to me means that I owe them a response at all. Like even, even, even in the least. How do you view like a phone call though? Yeah, fine. Are you not always available via phone call to your clients? It depends who it is. Same fashion. Yeah. Right. I'm not talking, I'm not, I'm not talking about customers. My job is 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 them, so I'm available to them at all times. Right. And if I don't want to, if I don't want to deal with it, and it's not an emergency, I'll be like, hey, well, you know, let's deal with this in the morning or something like that. But I'm I'm not afraid of setting boundaries. But if it's like a coworker or some vendor or just somebody trying to knock on my door or something like that, dude, no. Like I I don't I've I've lost the ability to grant access to everybody that wants it. Yeah. For their, you know, for their own reasons. Because yeah. you know, at the end of the day, if somebody's emailing you, you're emailing them. It's not safe for like limited occasions. It's not to catch up or it's not just to say hi or it's not small talk. It's because they want something or you want something. Yeah. And what's frustrating is this is coming from a sales manager for one of our lines that has asked us to increase sales by 40 percent. But, had, you know, I turned it in a, a deal in a sale and this was a month ago with no answer. 
but mm. <laughs> then with follow-ups and all this other stuff. And then the first thing you hear a month later is go fuck yourself. Basically. It's just like, ugh, why am I working for you? Yeah. So then that's the thing, right? So like if you're, if you're that main artery in, in the chain of, of a sale like that, and you're not responsive to email and, and you haven't made it known that you prefer another method of communication, be it text messages, be it direct messages using Teams, be it phone call, whatever it is, if it's not clear to anybody else what your preferred method of communication is and you don't respond to email like that, that I, that's, I have a huge issue with that because that's, that is your job. Like that's, that is how the whole thing turns when you're the sales manager for the entire United States. Yes. You need to answer. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and I understand people being busy, but at the end of the day, you know, if you're, if you're not managing your mailbox like that, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a thin line. I know I just said, I, I, I like not responding to people, but I think it's a, if your job dictates that you are that chain of command and you're in a company where you're not in an office every day, so you have the ability to see somebody like that. Yeah. That's an offense. Right, right. So have you ever, with a job though, like quitting a job even earlier in your career, maybe before it became as much professional as it is now, but like, have you ever just blown a lid and quit a job? Fuck you. Fuck this. I'm out of here. Nah. Nothing like no, that. No, I haven't. Um, no, I think the worst thing I ever did was got like really, really drunk on like the day like two days before I was set to, to leave, like two days before my last day on the job, got really, really drunk the night before and called in. <laughs> I, and that's like the worst thing uh, ever like, just like, Hey, I'm not making it in today. <laughs> oh, I thought you called in and quit. I was going to no, say, no, 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 no. But that's it. No, no, nah, man. I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in all that. It's it, it, burning bridges like that is, I don't know. Like I, I, I always, I always think that that kind of stuff follows you for sure. Yeah. That kind of thing is like a stigma. It'll stick on you and it'll rear its head when you don't want it to. There was a person, the reason I got a job at air gas was there was a guy who blew a lid. Like you're talking about just completely, uh, tore people to shreds in an email, mm -hmm. sent it to the entire company. Well, at least the entire division. So basically everybody in Southern California, which is a lot of employees yeah. and hit send. And then nobody saw him again until <laughs> he resurfaced a couple of years later for stabbing his ex-wife at a Costco parking lot in Carlsbad. Oh, wow. All that yeah. anger stemmed back from that email yeah, years ago. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sensing a pattern. No, but I, that's the only reason I had to drop it, Eric, because he, he quit and he quit in that uh, manner. But, 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 but I, um, but no, nah, man, I, even when I get a, a professional email, even when I get something like that, where I just want to be like, oh, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I have it. I have the response for you. And it would feel good. Mm -hmm. Feel very, very good. Um, I, I've never, I've never broken that code in an official email. Cause like I said, yeah. I could talk to you and we can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. You're less likely to use that against me in any sort of malicious way, mostly because you can't really prove it regardless of what was said. Also people normally aren't like, I think if I was on the phone call with this guy, he wouldn't have been such a dick. Like I, I some people like hide behind email or, or like in social media, they sure. hide behind their keyboard. Yeah. You got your Twitter fingers, you're talking all your shit. But like, if I'm talking to you in person or over the phone, it, it's probably going to be a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have a coworker that's a complete asshole with, with emails and not, he's not an asshole. He's just very blunt. Yeah. Okay. But he's the same way in real life. And he'll tell you the same thing to your face. It's like, all right, I respect you. Yeah. I may not yeah. like you, but I definitely respect you because you're damn, consistent. You. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, um, and so that, you know, that I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with, but yeah, it's that, it's that, that's, you, you know, that that response was only sent because that person was like either annoyed with their day or something that really didn't have to do with you because your email was rather, you know, innocuous. It was, had nothing 
there, there was nothing in it that was, was mean or distasteful or anything. Yeah. That had to be what happened because it came through at like 11 PM. So this dude was just sitting up late at night, pissed off about something else. and was like, you know what? I'm going to be an asshole right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's terrible. <sighs> so that's why I'm quitting my job and becoming a stripper. You nice. heard it here first, everyone. Nice. I do birthday parties. Just let me know. Oof. God bless those kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Frank, would you be surprised if I told you the government wants to track you more? I was going to say, what? Not surprised. You're years late on this. Yeah. Have you heard into or anything about this tax gap plan that has been proposed? Ah, yes, I have. Yeah, it is uh, quite egregious in my opinion. Uh, the Treasury Department and Democratic lawmakers have put forth a proposal that would require more information to be sent to the IRS in the hopes that this will reduce tax evasion and improve collection of taxes that are already due. Um, the way they're trying to push this through is that they estimate by doing this, it'll generate $460 billion in tax revenue over the next 10 years. So that's a nice big number to throw out there. Mm -hmm. Um it's being suggested uh, as like a revenue offset for the three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation bill that the Biden administration uh, and the Democrats who control Congress are drafting to spend more money on programs they say would improve health care, education, infrastructure, climate change, uh, among other things. Um, but some say it could open your account and transactions to the IRS if you have as little as six hundred dollars in any account. $600 incoming or outgoing in a fiscal year. So pretty much every single bank account. Yeah, for sure. Be, um, this is being pushed by uh, former uh, Federal Reserve Chairwoman uh, Janet Yellen, who I actually really like and met in Cleveland once. Um, oh, very, really? very, yeah, very, very sharp woman, uh, very tiny woman, um, but very sharp. And uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, watching what she did as chairwoman of the, of the of the Federal Reserve. But she's pushing this, and <clears throat> this is going to be targeting your uh, your waitresses, your servers, your. Yeah. Uh, strippers so watch out alex um in, in in a letter that she wrote um to the ways and means committee chairman uh, richard neal she said that a reporting regime that is broad-based will better assist the irs in targeting enforcement priorities on the high end who accrue income in opaque ways so basically what she's saying is if you're that person that routinely deposits $9,999 to avoid the IRS, um, we're going to be looking at you. I can understand it from the perspective of the IRS where it's like, well, we really haven't been able to target these people who don't want to pay their taxes because there is a basically, I don't know if it's a law or a rule. I don't know how it works, but if you, if you deposit less than $10,000 cash into your bank account, it doesn't get reported, right? It's just a common deposit. So she goes on to say, uh, Janet Yellen goes on to say, any suggestion that instead this reporting regime will be used to target enforcement efforts on ordinary Americans is wholly misguided to which I say, Miss Yellen, um, you could not be more tone deaf in, yeah. in your words there. Uh, Facebook will never use your uh, private information uh, and sell it for uh, advertisement purposes. Um, your government will never spy on you in mass. Um, your privacy is protected. I will always wear pants in Zoom meetings. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> lies after lies after Just broken lies. promises. <laughs> Um, it's it just, we've heard that too many times. Yeah. Right. Any suggestion exactly. that this is going to be misused is wholly misguided. Uh, you can trust us, the IRS <laughs> mm -hmm. come the fuck on. So I get what they're trying to do here. And, 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 and like you mentioned previously, it's political. What they're trying to do is they're trying to supplement this ridiculous spending bill 
um, that they're trying to pass in in the in uh, Senate right now Senate, in Congress. Yeah. What I don't get though is like the <laughs> like especially with the Democrats, like their whole thing is like you know we fight for for the everyday person and and we're here for these inner cities and all this mm-hmm. other shit. That's what that's who this will affect the most and who is going to be paying the majority of the estimated four hundred and sixty billion dollars in tax revenue that they're they're saying they're gonna get. That that's who's gonna get affected by this the most. It's it's not gonna be the rich people. They still have their expensive lawyers and their expect like their nice accountants that can, you know, zero everything out to make them look right. fine. It, it's gonna be right. the people that, that are supposedly the ones that are are you know, need protected and that we're here for that are going to be the ones that get fucked and audited by this. Right. Right. And, 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 uh, you know, to be fair, the money that they're going after should have been taxable income in the first place. Right. But like you mentioned, the hypocrisy just reeks here because it's like, uh, you got this democratic, uh, majority right now in, in, in the white house and in, uh, Congress. And, you got the Democrats and, and just this one particular instance saying, um, yeah, you know, we're uh, going to enforce the law. We believe in uh, law and order here and you should be paying your taxes on, your, you know, this, that and the other. So it's not like they're doing anything that's like illegal or even shady. Um, they're just enforcing laws that are already on the books and they're trying to do so by gaining access to your bank accounts, which that just on the surface, just just hearing that sentence, the IRS will have access to your banking information just sounds too intrusive. And it sounds like from what I was reading, it's going to be a nightmare for anyone that's not like a Chase Bank, a fifth, like a big established oh, bank, okay. any yeah. of these smaller banks, any of these small credit unions, they're going to get fucked. They're going to get buried in paperwork for all this stuff. Because yeah. what, it, what it is, is like how it would work is they're requiring banks to share data on all customer accounts. Um, and th- this would be like the first step in narrowing the tax gap, which would be the difference between taxes collected and taxes owed. Uh, if the IRS knows how much money is flowing into and out of all accounts, uh, it wouldn't immediately know if any of that money is actually unreported income. But the IRS would compare that information with other taxpayer records and then be able to open audits based like they'd have all the proof they need right there to audit anybody they want. Right. And and, and so then, uh, you know, there you go. You, you, you have your uh, your IRS just basically making their best guess. Right. Here, yeah. Here's what we think. Um, mm-hmm. There's a independent uh, community uh, sorry independent community bankers of america group um and listen i'm i'm no sympathy for bankers they provide the most essential service um for you know generating economic growth in the world but um you know like i said no sympathy for these guys because they're always just out to make a buck but their argument against this is saying that uh, not only would a uh, such an overly comprehensive IRS database require significant resources to build, maintain, and protect, but it would make the personal financial data of millions of Americans vulnerable to attack, which, fair point, right? Like, I, I, I have no argument with that. That is true. And we have seen any number of government entities um, and, and private uh, enterprises have their information that they thought was secure, uh, hacked. You have your banks, right? Let's say you're a Bank of America or a Fifth Third or anybody who does any significant amount of business here in America, and they are now they're responsible for your information. That their job not only is to keep your money secure, but also to keep your information secure. So now, what you want to do is you want to open up a channel of communication between every single one of those institutions and the IRS. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm saying, why, like, why would you want to do that? Um, it, to me, just seems I, I, I'm not sympathetic to the idea of, of raising money to pay for spending bills like like the one that they're trying to do here. But this previous year, um, there was a story that came out that said that. If you, I believe the number was like $125,000 a year, but I'll even bump it up to like 250 because I, I know it wasn't that much. But if you made less than $250,000 a year, the likelihood that you got audited by the IRS was substantially more than if you made more than a quarter million dollars a year. It said if you made less? Yes. Really? 
Yes. So, and to me, that mm. blew my mind because it's like, wouldn't you uh, be able to extract that makes sense. more money for people who are trying to script? But I guess if they hire a, ter- uh, 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 you know, a good tax professional, I guess they're, what they're doing is they're avoiding taxes in a legal manner. So maybe it does make sense. Well, that's what I was going to say is if they know that if people that make over quarter million dollars have the money and resources to like fight them mm-hmm. in one way or the other, like if the IRS comes after them, they have good tax attorneys that can, you know, sit right there with the IRS agent and during the audit or whatever and, and explain everything. Or um, th- I think that they know that they have the tools to hide their uh, devious ways, whereas the people that make less than that maybe don't have. I mean, I mean, I could see if I have a hundred grand, I think I might be all right, but I don't know. That, that's just the first thing that pops in my head. Like they know they have the tools to push back so they don't yeah. even fuck with it. Yeah. That makes sense to me too. Um, but you know, it, it just goes on to, you know, further the point that that is who they're going to be going after. If you haven't guessed by now, uh, Republican lawmakers have been firmly against this idea. Uh, us Republican, Representative Ron Estes from Kansas uh, co-sponsored a bill to be introduced into Congress to curb the idea. Um, He says prying open the bank statements and Venmo accounts of families and small businesses is another example of gross overreach of this Biden administration. Um, And as a result, because this kind of some of this came out about a week ago um, and we kind of wanted to wait till we saw more come out about it. Uh, But as a result of of. Mr. Estes and, and many other Republicans, um, a, fl- a flurry of opposition, you could say, mm. um, from banks and credit unions, along with Republicans. Uh, House Democrats omitted this proposal from their list of tax policy changes earlier this week. Um, that was a sign that it lacked the support in the party itself, not only throughout the House and Senate or whatnot, but within the Democratic Party. Um, to actually go through and, and happen. So they just said, you know, not worth the fight. We're going to get rid of it. Um, and <laughs> Democrat from Michigan, Dan Kildee, representative, uh, he went on record and said, there was a lot of concern expressed by members about the impact on relatively low income people suddenly being subjected to this. And we get that. I don't think the issue is completely gone, but we're not ready to move forward. It's like it really took all of this for your party, who was like the party for all these people, to think about that. Really, <laughs> really? Come on, get the fuck out of here. So it, it has been shot down for now. We'll see if it comes back, but um, it, it's just added to the list of trying to. I mean, like he said, like like Esther said, gross overreach of the of this administration, trying to control everything, trying to force vaccine that's been out for less than a year now they're trying to control your bank records like i mean (laughs) who knows what's next man are they going to control what we can watch on tv and the internet yeah great yeah um yeah yeah i i i I love the idea that that people are pushing back on this from from both sides because you know uh, i i think we know that as intrusive as our government is, our trade-off is a, a you know a fairly safe, comfortable living. Um, whether or not that you think that's a good thing or not, it, it doesn't matter because that's what we have. And so I, I think we're willing to put up with a decent amount of intrusion by our government in order to maintain even some semblance of normal living of, you know, safe neighborhood, get a job, live a good life. Right. Um, but at the end of the day that I think that reach can only go so far. And when you start affecting people's money directly, even if you're not doing anything wrong or you're misreporting income or, you know, all that aside, when you're banking information becomes standard knowledge to the tax man. That's just, I don't know if that's ever going to be something that you could sell. Hopefully it doesn't. Hopefully it it remains something that is continually uh, worth fighting for, uh, worth fighting for privacy over. Um, and, And it's, and it's heartening to see that. 
you know, come, come from both sides. I, I, I like it. And, you know, a lot of things that we have given up privacy for, we really didn't have a choice in. Um, or, you know, it wasn't in a, a you know, something like, like this where it was kind of upfront, you know, in our face about it. This is what we're going to do if this bill passes. Um, if you talk about like the NSA and, you know, the, the privacy that we've given up as far as who can see anything that we do online, like, like, I think it's kind of folly to think that if somebody in power wanted your information in any way that they couldn't get it. Um, but it's just the fact that it's an automatic process that your, your information is, is just given up involuntarily to this, to this agency. Um, you know, I, I can see why it doesn't sit well with people. Um, and, and I hope it stays that way. Yeah. I it's just, I kind of keep circling back to it, but it's just like the party that is supposedly here to defend this demographic is time and time again, like talks about it, but then like the, the policy and things they do like dictates otherwise, but then they use like things like Obamacare and free healthcare mm-hmm. to like, to, to override that, to, like to cover that up. But like, I know a lot of people now, now I'll say this in the last election, um, Joe Biden won the African-American vote um, by like a large margin. I think it was somewhere around like 87 to 90%. He took the minority vote there. Okay. But I, compared to the election before he, 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 they lost some voters and, and uh, people that uh, quite a few people that I associate with here in Chicago uh, that are African-American have, have voiced this to me. And, and this is a growing movement around the country where this party that is supposedly for these people, like time and time again, fail these people and these, these communities and, and all these, these all across the country and all these different cities, these inner cities continue to be, like shitholes compared to like tons of white communities all across. I mean, and obviously there's low income white communities, but like just on the whole, yeah. um, on the whole, just in general, just the, the situation that black people find themselves in, in our country financially, be it, you know, due to where they grow up due to their ability to go on and get higher education, whatever it is, these situations have not improved over the last 30, 40 years. And there's been sure. plenty, plenty of people in office, in power, in in the Senate, you know, majority that were Democratic that that could have done things to change this and make it better, and it hasn't got better. It's gotten yeah. worse. It's gotten worse, and it's continuing to. And 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 exactly. so, you know, you bring up a good point. And and before this previous election last year, I went and I actually researched the the top fifty cities in the United States, and of the top fifty cities in the United States by population, I'm sorry, thirty. Top 30 cities in the United States by population, mm-hmm. there were three Republican mayors. Wow, really? San Diego, San Antonio, mm-hmm. Jacksonville. Only three. Wow. And then I started digging a little bit deeper because I'm like, hmm, how far back does this go? Los Angeles, Chicago, Washington, D.C., New York City, although there had some exceptions. And, and, and there are some exceptions to all this, but for the past 50 years, majority and i mean like 70 to 90 percent of their mayors have been democratic what does that mean really in the grand scheme of things it doesn't mean much but if you understand how this party operates then you can kind of begin to appreciate how terribly they're set up to help the people that they're set out to help them because at the end of the day all that they can do is raise taxes so that they can funnel money from the citizens to the government and then have the government provide whatever it is that they want to provide or say that they want to provide. Mm-hmm. Wherein lies the problem there is that the government on almost every level is incredibly inefficient and terrible at their job by design. It's how the government is designed. They're not designed to be swift. They're not designed to be quick on their feet. They're designed to be a slow moving, slow turning ship. And the bigger the government is, the harder it is to do anything. So your state government cannot move or do very much uh, uh, better than, than your local city government. And then your federal government is way slower than your state government. So what they're saying is, 
uh, vote for us because what we're going to do is this. We're going to find clever ways to scrounge up a bunch of money. And then we're going to pay off a lot of the people that got us elected. And then whatever is left over, we're going to put into these funds and try and get something done for you. And the key there, the, the, the number one thing I think that is lost is that people have this unwielding faith in the government because I don't know why. They believe in the power of the government. They believe in um, their ability to, you know, do whatever they want. So they think that because we live in a quote unquote wealthy nation, that the wealth in this nation should be able to, to, to turn itself over and do good for its citizens. And, and in that is lost the, the, the difference between a private and a public sector. So Everyone just believes that because we're all wealthy, that our government needs to step in and do what needs to be done to make sure that all of our people are taken care of. And to some to some extent, I say yes, but but mostly, I think what we've seen is terribly, terribly, terribly failed policies. Which is why I had such high hopes for for California last week with this recall election because even though it wouldn't have done a ton and even like I, it would, I don't believe that one Republican governor in California is going to like completely shift the tides of California. And we're going to be, you know, off to this, you know, great reset where we're going to be, you know, an, an, an excellent again, and people are going to be able to afford housing and there's not going to be any homeless. What we have to start realizing is that there are failed policies with the best intentions and perhaps continuing to dig deep into that same political pool is not the best route for you, regardless of how you identify politically. Yeah. And, and that goes for, that goes for everybody, but certainly in our major cities, I mean, look like when you look at presidential elections from, you know, past 20, 30 years, anywhere where there is a giant population of people, Basically, any big metropolitan city will go blue in an election. And you have to look at the rural cities and, you know, things outside of that in order to get the other side of the vote. But I just think it's very interesting how that how that goes. And like you said, man, and you you live right there. Uh, possibly the most failed city in America from its politicians, from its very, very corrupt. I mean, I was going to say, man, the dailies ran the city for decades and it, it just shittier. It got worse and worse and worse. Yeah. R- um, Rod, Rod uh, Glaboyevich. Yeah. Remember him? Well, I, I didn't live here then, but yeah. 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 Um, but it, and that to was me, on man, the state level. Yeah. To me, it's it's the Democrats have always been the party of overpromising and under delivering like a motherfucker, and Republicans. What I'll say for them is that at least they're honest about what they want to do with with what they're trying to do. I guess like they they definitely favor a certain people in our country, especially uh, ones who have benefited and thrive from capitalism. They they definitely look out for those people more than the people in inner cities, but at least they're honest about it and they don't just mislead and use voters to gain power and distribute money to whatever causes departments that they feel like needs to go to, which I feel like is what the Democrats have done. Um, I I think there's good ideas on both sides, but I I think that, I think think there's a clear cut, I don't want to say winner when you look at parties, but I think there's a, a clear cut champion of the people that they at least defend or say they defend yeah well well i and 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 because i think at at the crux of like a a conservative worldview is a deep disdain for government um i think a lot of people who um share conservative values or or, are have come to uh, appreciate conservative values do so mainly because they understand history all too well and they understand the patterns of history uh, 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 repeating themselves over and over and over again and and I think that the 
like the, the, the founding fathers, the, the folks who drafted our very constitution understood that a, a government that isn't of the people will certainly degenerate into tyranny. And so I think when you have a conservative worldview, you understand fully before anything that your reliance on government um, is is also your reliance on your own downfall. And in other words, you must take it upon yourself to make your life what it is without a second thought as to what your government will or will not do for you. On the opposite end of that, I think the way that you get a lot of voters on the other side is that you reinstate a faith in government and saying like, you can't get these things without us. Yeah. So yeah. you have to vote for us because we are the only ones that can provide this to you. And, and I, th- and I, th- I think at the, at the very core of it, you have some people who believe that they are the masters of their own fate. And then you have people that believe that maybe they're the masters of their own fate, but the, the masters of other people's less fortunate fates lie into the hands of the government. So that, that's where I think you have that divide. Now, I, I'm curious what you think on this. Me and my dad got into a, like an argument the other day about this. He's, uh, he, he's very conservative. I, I would, he calls himself a libertarian. He's, he's a Republican as far as it goes. He just will also make fun of Republican lawmakers. Um, but his focus is, is bashing Democrats for, for always. Um, me and him got into an argument about minimum wage. And uh-huh. um, he like we, we were talking and like McDonald like here in Chicago it's fifteen dollars an hour which sure to me that like for what it costs to fucking live here uh, just to survive like that's not even enough but like fifteen dollars is what it is I'm in support of it you know whatever he says that like people that work at McDonald's he, in his mind that's like a seven dollar an hour job and that's mm-hmm. what they should be paid across the board doesn't matter where they live and and to me like we got into an argument about it I'm like that that that, that doesn't that's not possible like people couldn't live in chicago without it like they would all have to migrate to fucking buttfuck nowhere and have these like terrible communities of seven dollar an hour jobs and the worst housing you've ever seen blah 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 blah. like there has to be like a setup minimum like so that these people can just survive and his art his counter argument to me was well we live in a capitalistic society they need to, to use like the free enterprise system and climb up the ranks and become a CEO. And, and, and I was just like, dad, everyone can't become a CEO of a company. Everyone can't climb up this ladder and take advantage and, and make all this money. Yes. That's great that we have a society that does that, but the other, the people that don't do that should still be able to survive and pay their rent and eat some semblance of a normal diet without having to become CEOs and climb this corporate ladder. Like, that's not for everyone. We do need people to work these places. Like, yeah. <laughs> so that people right. like us, like when we go out and we're drunk as fuck and we want to get McDonald's, there's someone there that's working there. Yeah. They, they should be getting paid a livable wage. So it's like to say that's the thing like with re- Republicans sometimes that like frustrates me. It's because it's like this idea. And most of the time it's coming from people that really haven't, they're not CEOs for sure. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Uh, most of the time it's coming from people that are talking about money that they have nowhere near to. Yeah. Um, but everyone can't be like, can't climb the slide. Like there is opportunity to do so, but there are 300 plus million people in our country. We can't have 300 million CEOs. So like we need to fill in the gaps where there's gaps and those people should still be able to live their life and pay their rent. And if not, it, they live off the government, which is what you're complaining about in the first place. Like all these people mooch off the government and welfare and blah, 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 blah. It's like, you can't have it all, man. You gotta, you gotta help these people out a little bit, even though they're not CEOs or whatever. Sure. It, well, it, it's, it's, it's very tricky and convoluted now because you have the government stepping in and they're saying you must pay these employees this amount. And we don't care what that means for your business, right? It's very easy for anybody to look at somebody like McDonald's, like, oh, well, they have all the money in the world, whatever. But that's not how it works. Because if you have the government imposing a regulation on your business, you're not going to lay down and just be like, oh, okay, well, um, we're fucked there. So uh, I guess we're just going to take that on the chin. No, you're going to make it up because you are a we live, we do live in a capitalistic society. And if you are a corporation, if you're an ongoing concern and you're public, then you have, not only do you have, um, 
responsibilities to your employees, but you have responsibilities to your investors and and your vendors and everybody else in your chain. So that money doesn't just come from the profit of McDonald's. It then gets put on to everybody that's involved in the McDonald's sphere. So to your dad's point, I idealistically love the idea of no minimum wage. Yeah. And here's why. Because you would be able to employ far more people by paying them what the market dictates for the job of what they do, right? So for example, let's say let's say you run a very busy barbershop, right? Mm-hmm. Or a very busy hair salon. You could hire somebody who is currently making no money and you could hire them for $5 an hour. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sweep hair. That's all that I want you to do. I want you to sweep hair. And you sweep hair. Or you have somebody in literally any, in any respect, doing any job at all that's minuscule, that you're willing to pay them that wage for because you think that that wage is appropriate for the job that they're doing. So you get far more people employed. They get paid for the job that they're doing. They're getting paid money that they otherwise would not get. And it's impossible to employ that sort of policy if you're going to have the big giant safety net that doesn't entice anybody to get any sort of job regardless of stature status or whatever you could pay somebody $15 an hour at a McDonald's and if they're going to be paid $200 less per month to not work easy choice there for me buddy um so so idealistically I love the idea of no minimum wage because then what you do is you cut the restraints completely off of people who run their business you allow them to pay for the labor the way in which the market dictates because when you go get a job you're not just getting a job you are putting your labor on the market now I, I think a lot of people who go and get a job are like hesitant to understand the power that they have in their own labor and and maybe that's because we've been trained a certain way, but your labor is so powerful. And especially right now, because people are desperate for warm bodies, not even competent minds, just warm bodies. We just need a body. That's all people need right now. So your labor is incredibly powerful. And I think that we need to realize a little bit better that that is true. And it's a bargaining chip, just like anything is a bargaining chip. And if you go to an employer and they want to pay you this much and you say, well, I think I should be paid this much. And here is a great reason why. And you lay it out for them and you're willing to walk away from the table. You're going to get paid what you think you get. You should get paid somewhere if you're willing to put in the work. Now, if you just want to lay down and you just want to get a job somewhere and you're not willing to do all that, then fine. But your job your labor, if it really was a true free market capitalist society, would be a commodity just like anything else. But then look at minimum wage as everyone coming together uniformly, because I mean that's where these numbers come from. In, in Chicago, it's 15 because that's what's calculated as the median to survive in the city with rent and bills and and, and any kind of food. All so right, like if, that's if, more if, or less you, if you look, number. but I'm saying if you if you look at just the idea of minimum wage as a consensus of everyone saying our labor is worth this much. Like it's not worth 10 bucks to sweep up hair. It's worth 15, but it is not, it's not all worth the same. It's not. And it's impossible to say it is. It's like trying to price. It's like trying to put a price on anything. One of the biggest reasons the Soviet union fell is because they tried to price all of their items. Do you know, do you know what the price of any item is? What do you, what do you mean? Like how much milk costs? How much is that mug that you just had in your hand right there? Oh, shit. From Croft and, uh, from Craft and Crate and Barrel or whatever it's cost, this is probably like a $30 mug. Who knows? $30 mug. That mug was $30 because you decided it was. Not because Crate and Barrel did, but because you put the money up to buy it. My wedding registry, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. I wouldn't buy this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
but, but do you get what I'm saying? So like your do, labor yeah. isn't any different than that mug in that your labor is not priced based off of what everyone thinks it should be. It's priced based off of what you're willing to accept for it. Now, when you have the government in there pulling on that lever, then you've taken that power away from the companies and they're not going to fold up because of it, but they're going to make decisions based off of that, which are going to be counterproductive to everything that they're doing, which means that whatever your higher wage is, is you're inevitably going to be paying higher prices for things because of that imposition. And I say that's terrible. I see how it can drive inflation and I definitely see how it can drive like more automated jobs by forcing companies to do that. Yes. And now I'm the asshole because if anybody else wants to counter this, say, oh, well, you don't believe in people earning a living wage. It's like, listen, man, that's not what I said at all. And it's far too complicated than that. I believe people should earn a living wage and I believe people should earn that living wage. And also I don't, I'll never be in, in favor of the government making moves to provide that to people to do that job. It, to, to me, it, what you're trying to do is you're trying to social engineer a, 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 a quote unquote living wage um, based off of some pie in the sky idea that we're the wealthiest nation in the world, which we are, but it doesn't mean that we then get to redistribute everything so that we ha- we take care of the people that we deem the least fortunate because that isn't good for anybody. Not that it's not good for those people. It's not good for any of us. It's not, not even take care of though, man. It's not like, like putting them on welfare and, and living on unemployment is taken care of. That's like babying the fuck out of people, but telling people that, yo, you want to go commit 40 hours a week, make $15 an hour and Make enough money to pay your car payment, pay your bills, buy food for your family, and you know save maybe a little bit of money. That's not a big ask, and that that's going to make our country as a whole way better than all these people mooching off of it, not doing shit for the country, not doing anything for their communities, and just collecting money. Like, I, like we've said it before, I think the only way to get out of this cycle we're in, especially now with everyone on unemployment, is for these companies to step up and incentivize working for them. Like if, if we don't, if we just keep saying like that, that job is really only worth $10 an hour, people are going to say, fuck that. I'm not doing that. And that's why we have the situation we have now where if you're getting $500 to go interview or get a cell phone, if you get the job, it's like, it, it just, to me, it's like livable wage could be so misconstrued so many different ways. But like at the end of the day, like these people need to make a living wage to live their day to day life. Like I guess you can get upset that the government's getting involved, but like asking people to clean up hair for $10 an hour, because that's what you deem it's worth. And even if you can convince them, if they're in a desperate enough situation to accept that job, that's not paying their bills in most cities, maybe in like a rural Ohio. Sure. Probably. Maybe. I I don't know. Could you live off $400 a week? Probably not. After, and then, then you take taxes. Now we're talking like two thirty a week. No way. Like there, you need to have, some kind of wage in place that is livable so that the people that don't climb this corporate tower still can live life without sucking and mooching from the government and everybody else. And when you have the richest country in the world with the biggest income gap in the world, that that's an identified problem that like, this seems to be a good step in the direction of like, we don't need to make all these people that work at McDonald's, you know, six figure earners, but like, to ask 40 to 50 grand a year to work at McDonald's, that's a pretty fair ask. I guess, I mean, that that's coming from us, you know, they, they employ how many people worldwide? I mean, I've, yeah, but how much money do they make worldwide? I, I have no idea. This is insane. I mean, we have no idea. So, so here's, here's my point. It, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. But I don't, I don't appreciate the fact that we straddle the fence on that. What do you, you mean? You, you want to you you give people everything? Then make that happen wholesale. Do you know what I'm saying? Don't straddle the fucking fence on it. You want to make it a livable wage for everybody? Well, then do that and then, and, then, and then make that happen. But what I'm saying is when you try and pull those levers artificially, in a society where, where obviously we, we still appreciate and we still employ capitalistic policies, 
uh, for almost everything. When you try and pull the levers of a free market society, then all you're going to do is cause chaos, confusion, and, and ultimately destruction because you have the lack of humility in thinking that you actually can do something there. And like, yeah, like you can employ a minimum wage for $15 an hour, or you can deem that something here is a, is a living wage. And then you were mandating that companies abide by it, but mm. you're, you're not, all you're doing is forcing their hand into something else. If you're going to give them the control to run their business, the way they see fit and employ that they have to pay a certain wage, well then, okay. But all, all you're doing is incentivizing them to you know, to employ like the worst behaviors because all they're going to do is like, well, all right, now, now that's a cost that I have to account for. I'm sorry, everybody else, but I have to run the business the way that I see fit because I'm also beholden to everybody that is involved in this sphere of my business. What was it we were talking about like a month ago or so about like righteous capitalism? What was, what was the thing there? Conscious capitalism. Conscious capitalism. What was the, the topic like that we were talking about? I'm trying to remember what it was. I'm not, I'm not. Uh, okay. Well, my point, my sure. point, I guess, is that it was, it was basically like that, like, oh, I remember it's because like these, uh, companies were buying up real estate and yeah. then basically like, instead of selling the homes, they were renting them to like make crazy amounts of money. These were like investment right. firms. Right. And we talked about conscious capitalism there. Why, why couldn't minimum wage be factored into conscious capitalism in the way that like, like the idea would be, especially for these inner city communities where like they don't have all the opportunities to go to college and do all these other things that other communities have. This minimum wage, couldn't it not be looked at as a way of conscious capitalism where we want to see like, hey, okay, if they can't go to college or whatever else, like this is a good route. You could start at McDonald's. And then, you know, if you work here for, you know, three, four years, you know, you're making 40K a year, you're saving money, you're moving up, then you can take your next, then you're a manager at McDonald's, then you can move up from there and you're a manager at fucking Starbucks or whatever, like you sure. just keep moving. Yeah. Like it, if you put a thing in place that like these people can have some kind of support system while providing work and engaging and overall a plus to their community by, by being a body and, and a, yeah. a warm body working. Like why? I, I just wish that it could, that minimum wage could be looked at that way to where these people have another way that's not, you know, selling drugs or stealing or bust basically. Or like if I'm not going to be a sure. rapper or an NBA player, like, fuck it, I'm going to have to do this because I'm not going to college. I'm not getting a serious look from any real company. Like, if, if you, I just see this as like a route to think of it as ca conscious capitalism and like a way to lift these people. And you can, right? So if you think of it like this, think of it like a, uh, like a seven pronged seesaw, right? Okay. In the center, you have McDonald's. Mm -hmm. All right. One prong is your employees. You're responsible for them. The other prong is the environment. You're responsible for the environment which you, you run your business in. The yeah. other prong is your investors. The other prong is your customers. The other prong is your vendors or your, um, or your, uh, uh, did I say vendors already? No, but yes. And, okay. Vendors. And then, um, maybe it's the community. Shareholders. Right? So you have all yeah. of these. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you have the government coming down and say, we are going to put a giant weight on the employees, boom then everything that you've worked for is now completely out of balance because it wasn't that the employees weren't part of that before. And I don't know how McDonald's runs their business, but yeah, I'm saying same. in this context, if you want to look at it from a, from the view of conscious capitalism, then the view of what conscious capitalism is saying is that the, if you're a business, yes, you are in it to make a profit because if you don't make a profit, then you don't exist. But the goal is not to make the money. The goal is to make the money and then invest it in all of the facets that affect or are affected by your business in a way that is in harmony, which is impossible. <laughs> okay. But it's the highest ideal. So we should strive for it because it's the only way that capitalism can prove itself to be what it truly is at its core. And that is the best economic policy vehicle for everyone. So you say, all right, I am a person who makes, who runs this company. I make profit and I have to decide what to do with that profit, where I reinvest it in my company. And how do I make all of these people happy with what I'm doing and continue to make a profit? It's a, it's a challenge and a task that is unfathomably difficult. 
And if you have somebody who is going to put an imposition on one of those things while you're trying to balance all of them, well, then you've just put that company in a very, very, very tough position because it wasn't that they weren't looking out for their employees beforehand because they don't have these employees and they're not happy, then they don't have a business. So before there was a minimum wage, I got to imagine they were doing at least something right. We both have experience. We both worked for Costco, a huge corporation that treats their employees great. And they have the best starting wage for a job like that in the entire country that I'm aware of. At least they used to, yeah. At least they used to, yeah. I mean, now the whole country is basically catching up to what they've been doing for 10 plus years, if not yeah. like way more. It's doable for them. And I just saw a recent thing that said more people have Costco memberships than have cable television in their house. <laughs> so if they're able to do it and still be as fucking profitable as they are and opening locations all over the country and soon the world, I don't see how it's not possible for these other companies to do it. Like those motherfuckers sure. are paying people time and a half every Sunday. To mm-hmm. every, like, come on, there, yeah. there's profit to be made. McDonald's has their profit. They figured out this whole system and still found a way to millions and millions into their pockets, into the CEO's pocket. Like, yeah. and, and rightfully so, he's managing a huge company and they should make money. But like, there is money to go around to pay people a livable wage as a part of conscious capitalism. If you study Costco, you'll understand that their business, the way that their business it was able to be so great and will continue to be so great is because that's how it was founded. The, the, the foundation of Costco was those tenants, right? Taking care of your vendors, taking care of your customers and taking care of your members, right? If you, I did this little test one time when I was working at air gas, I got so frustrated because there was not a congruent message at all. There was nothing that anybody could, could rally around. And I, and I told my boss one day, I was like, you know, I was like, you know, we don't even have a mission statement, like on our website. Really? He's like, oh, he goes, oh, that's, that's eighties bullshit. We don't need a mission statement. <laughs> I go, really? He goes, yeah. I go, I, I tell you what, I know no less than six people right now that I could call I will ask them one question and they will all give me the number. They will all give me the answer. And he goes, okay, I'll bite. Let's see it. So I called up Dalton and I said, uh, Dalton, what's the number one most important thing at Costco? And he said, uh, jiggling titties and getting wet. And I said, Dalton, (laughs) (laughs) my boss is on the phone. Thank you. I said, please just for, five seconds. Take this seriously. What is the number one most important thing at Costco? He goes, the members. So, yeah. yep. Called up my brother, Steven. Hey man, question for you. What's the number one most important thing at Costco? He goes, uh, member service. All right. Thank you. I wish you would have said jiggling titties. That would have yeah. been amazing. <laughs> Called up Greg. Said, Hey man, what's the number one most important thing at Costco? He goes, the members. I go, yep. And I called two other people. Same thing. I said, listen, they, they, but they, but they started their business that way. That's how they founded the business was off of those core tenants. And I'm not saying it's impossible for everybody else to do, but when you look at companies, um, you'll understand that not only is Costco great, but they are indeed the best company out there, the Mm -hmm. best company out there, but because they, they founded their business with those tenants. So yeah, I'm I'm not saying it's impossible and I'm not saying people shouldn't be paid a living wage. I'm saying if if you had any understanding of what it takes to run any sort of business, then you would understand that by putting an imposition on what you pay your employees is an, it's an incredibly limiting thing. And you know, the idea of like a greedy company or a company that doesn't want to pay their employees a wage because of profits or whatever. And not that that doesn't have anything to do with it. It obviously has something to do with it, but it's like, all right, if you're saying that, but, but, but do you know what they're doing with their profits? Oh, you don't? Then how could you even, what could you possibly say about this company if you have no idea what they are doing with the money that they're making? Oh, well, they're paying their CEOs and their executive all these millions of dollars. All right. You've been an executive before. Do you, do you understand what it takes? Do you understand the, the task? Are you, are you familiar with the job? You're, you're not. Okay. That how can you, how could you possibly talk on that? I feel you. I feel you. But have they lived in fucking low income housing and ate government cheese? Like maybe, I mean, maybe, yeah, it's possible. Not likely though. I don't know, man. That's what I'm saying. Like, we don't know. We, we want to make up these stories in our head about these particular situations. And it's like, how much do we really know about what we're saying? 
And if it's not a lot, then at the very least, we shouldn't be emotionally charged about it. Yeah. And, and then furthermore, it's like, okay, well, if I want to speak on one particular company or, or one instance of a company doing something, and I want to call them greedy or assholes for not wanting to provide a living wage or any one of these things, and I don't know what this company does, I am not taking the time to, to research how much money they've made, what their profit, how, what they're investing in. And, and I don't expect anybody to do this. But what I'm saying is if you don't know those things, then you're at a complete loss for, for the conversation that, that is at hand. And I think if you're not in that structure, I, I think it's impossible to understand what it takes to make something that gigantic run. Is there something to be said that like the consensus thing that like, like I just fucking picked McDonald's out of nowhere, but like the consensus sure. thing that like people will refer to when they're talking about these, these, like this, these kind of people is a McDonald's worker. Like how often do you hear that in, in conversation with people? Like that's, that's a very, like when you say McDonald's worker, you, you get a, a idea in your head, I, I guess, at least I do. And, uh -huh. and I feel like this isn't something that like, like I, I'm been used to hearing this from many different people having different conversations where like a fast food worker is one of the first people like of low income or just like, shitty workers or whatever you want to say that like pops into people's heads. And it's like, I feel like it is that way because those companies choose to not necessarily invest back into their employees and keep the profits for themselves or do whatever they do. Like you're saying, I don't know what McDonald's, Burger King, all these companies do, but there's a reason why like many people will refer to fast food workers in this kind of a conversation because like they're, they're taken advantage of quite frankly, yeah. in my opinion. But, but if you, okay. So like the essence of what fast food is, mm -hmm. it's cheap, tasty, hot food on demand. Right. Right. You have to run at the margins for that kind of thing, because if you don't, then it doesn't become cheap. Right. And it's going to take a whole lot more to get that food into people's cars. And, you know, and for better or worse, I, you know, I think fast food is a terrible thing on the whole. I think it's awful. For it's sure. terrible for your body. Uh, it, you know, it's making us very, very fat and it, it's created a culture of just like, I, like I said, quick, easy food on demand. That's very, very, very tasty. But when forced to, to up their quality because the world changed and you couldn't serve people pink paste that are McNuggets and you have to serve them real chicken they adapted and they made it happen and they're still profitable. When, when people that work for your company, who at, at least at this point are a very big facet of what you need to do. You need people to work the stores, to make the food, to get your product that the vendors send in out to, to the masses. That, mm -hmm. that, at this point, that's critical. That could easily be changed. I go into McDonald's all the time and I see self-order kiosks and a matter of time before self-cooking burgers and all this other shit happens. But yeah. like, at the moment, that is necessary, as necessary as it was to up your food to being <laughs> even still the lowest level of acceptable these days. Right, right. But, but that was doable. So, like, if the new norm to live a life is this, like, they have to adapt if they want to still be a company, I, I think. Yeah, understood, understood. And they do, and they will, right? Yeah. They will. Now, I think we're up to it in California where everything is $15 an hour. So, I mean, these companies are going to have to adapt, but, you know... I, I, I think it's not for nothing that California and Chicago and Illinois, they share a lot of the same terrible, yeah. terrible uh, cases of poverty and inflation uh, and sky high prices uh, and corruption in government. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, causation. I'm not, is not seeing the connection. I'm not seeing the connection, Frank. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they're they're both state. I mean, I don't know. California's a little bit better shape right now, but I know Illinois was like on the 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 brink of bankruptcy uh, because of their pensions yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and how terribly they manage their pensions. Um, but I, I'm kind of getting outside the point. But I hear you, man. I hear you. I I, I would love it for everybody to to to, to earn a, a living wage and. Um, you know, f for the sake of ideal economic conditions, I don't want to come off as not empathetic for, for people's plight. Like, certainly I am. Um, but once you get the government involved, 
I don't know. You you kind of have to become the master of your own fate, I believe. And and that sure. and that is uh, that's a cultural thing that uh, I, I don't uh, I don't I don't know that too many people would uh, share the same sympathies as I do. So, um, and you know, you could look at me and say, well, you know, you've done okay, but I earned it all. I put myself in a lot of debt, but I earned it. You know, I'm here on my own accord. Nobody else's. Sure. Did you drink coffee along the way? Uh, I did. Yeah, I was a late, I was a late bloomer with coffee. I didn't start drinking coffee till I was like 22, I don't think. 21, 22. Did it help or hurt your capitalistic ventures? Hurt. Hurt it? Really? Well, sure. Yeah. I had to spend a lot of money on coffee. Well, sure. Sure. But I mean, could you do as good of a job at your job without caffeine? Mm, I see what you know you're what I'm at. saying. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I, okay. It was an investment indeed. <laughs> and all, and then, so if you can drink a good smooth cup of coffee, like that's a treat all by itself. But when you could do that, be more attuned at your job and also help American heroes like veterans and first responders. It is that much better. Uh, our sponsor, Gun Barrel Coffee, is proud to donate $1 from every item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across our country. So many different roasts, the Moab, the Medium Roast, the Double Dark Battleship, their CBD-infused blend, the Medic, even a hot sauce now called the, the Big Guns. They offer 14 different blends and roasts, which you can get whole bean ground or in single-serve pods. And right now, as a friend of our ship, you can use the promo code FNH10 to save 10% at checkout when you buy their products at GunBarrelCoffee.com. That is promo code FNH10. Gun Barrel Coffee. Damn good coffee. Damn good cause. Yeah, they really is good bean juice, man. They make a good they make a good coffee. Delicious. Uh, you can find us at a myriad of uh, internet outlets on Twitter at FriendshipNH, uh, on Instagram at FriendshipNewsHour, on uh, TikTok, the same, FriendshipNewsHour, and you can email us always at bummerdude.media at gmail.com. That is bummerdude.media at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time. Go put some pants on now.